Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships, so we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are in a third week of this series entitled, I've Got Questions. And if you haven't been here, what we decided to do is uh, for several weeks, we were going to try to answer some of the questions that I think stand between us and God sometimes. They get in the way, or maybe when you come to faith, you, you come to a place where you get stuck on something and you wrestle with it for a while. And uh, two weeks ago, we kicked the series off. We were talking about the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, if, if that's where you struggle, go back and listen to that one. And then last week, we asked the question, is Jesus the only way to God? Now, the question today is a little different because I think it's one of those that uh, it's more of a question among believers. It's one that we wrestle with as we grow in our faith. Maybe you come to Christ, you begin growing, and as you go along, this question comes up, and it's this question that asks, do I really need the church? And, And the reason I bring that up is because I hear even among Christian circles many times discussions and arguments about this question, do I really need the church, or can I do this God thing on my own? Do I really need other people in my life? Do I need to be part of a a local church for me to continue to grow in my faith with Christ? And I think in order to answer this question appropriately, we need to do an English lesson very quickly. Some of you are like, great, I got out of school, I hated English, and now we're going back to it again. This is real quick, I promise it won't hurt at all, but uh, maybe you remember some of these terms. Do you remember synonyms and antonyms? when you studied those. Do you remember what those were? Synonyms, and the only way I remembered them when I was a kid is S, right? It's S for same. So synonyms are the words, different words that mean the exact same thing. Uh, Antonyms were anti, right? So they were against each other. So it was words that mean the opposite of each other. But there was another group of words that were very interesting too. And these are the homonyms. And if you don't know what homonyms are, because that was kind of an obscure one that we didn't talk about a whole lot, but I think is relevant today, it's words that are spelled and pronounced the exact same way, but they have different meanings. So it's the exact same word, but it'll have multiple meanings. So what what I want to do is I want to throw some on the screen here for you, and I just want you very quickly, when it pops up and hits the screen, I want you to think about what comes to mind when you hear these words. Words like this, fly. How many of you immediately thought of like flying through the air in an airplane or something like that? Okay. How many of you thought about like the insect fly? Yeah, because it's fly season. You guys have been killing them for two weeks, right? Um, how many of you, maybe you're a child of the 90s and you thought that dude's outfit is fly? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, I get you. I get you. Okay, what about this word? Uh, date. Date. How many of you thought right away about the date that you eat? Okay, a few of you. Uh, What about time with that special someone? You went on a date. Ooh, we got a romantic group in here this morning. Awesome. Uh, How many of you just thought date as in like the day on the calendar? Okay, some of you. Awesome. Uh, What about this word? Ring. Ring. How many of you thought about uh, like a ringing of a phone or something in your ear? Okay, how many of you thought about something on your hand? Ah, very romantic. Hey, guys, good job, by the way. You just earned points with your wife. Good job. Uh, How many of you thought, uh, like, ring the thing that you put on their front door now? 
That's a new one, right? I actually had somebody come up to me after the first service and said, yeah, the one I thought of was Lord of the Rings. And I thought, oh, okay. There's another one for you. So there's so many different meanings. Different words have different meanings to different people. And I, I think it's the same thing for this word right here, church. When I say the word church, I have to admit that we have different meanings in this room. Like some of you, you think church and you think of a building, some of you, you hear church and you think of, of a denomination or maybe the global church, the big C church, or maybe you think about church as in what we do in this room, the fact that we come together and we worship and we open up God's word, that's church to you. Or maybe some of you go, no, church to me is a group of people. It's a group that I meet with and, and I, I have deep relationships with, that's church to me. Uh, but, but I also have to acknowledge there's some of you in this room who, when I say church, you have a negative response because of maybe some pain or, or you, you got hurt somewhere down the line in church, and that's what church means to you. Uh, the reason I bring all this up is because I want you to know that your definition of church can be the biggest factor that determines whether you move forward in your faith or whether you get stuck in your faith. And so before we can even answer the question, do I really need the church, we have to answer this question. What is the church? Because I think so many people have a different meaning when we hear church. And so uh, just to do a quick Bible study, let me just tell you, when you go to the New Testament, which is where church pops up, it comes after Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the tomb, he rises again, he establishes his church, and we see this Greek word used for church all through the New Testament. It actually shows up 117 times, and it's the word Ecclesia. The New Testament was written in Greek, and so you have to go back and look at this original word, ecclesia, to get insight into what the church actually means. And when you look up this word in the Greek, it just it means the physical assembly of gathering of people or gathering of people with a shared purpose. And I want you to know that this isn't even a biblical term so much. It's a Greek word. That's what it is. And it was pulled into scriptures. Uh, and and it, it was meant to describe just a group or a gathering of people that were there for the exact same reason. But 95% of the time when it's used in the New Testament, the writer's using it to describe a group of people uh, referring to the church, the New Testament church. But let me give you a couple of examples. I want to show you, first of all, an example of where it's used not to describe a group of people gathered uh, under the banner of Christ, but a different gathering. Uh, we have to go to Acts chapter 19 to find it. And, and what we find is that Paul is traveling throughout this, uh, this land. He's planting churches. He's meeting with people. And he walks into Ephesus, a city that is a very, very Greek city. And he begins to preach the gospel and he begins to, to encourage them to leave their God, Artemis, and to turn their lives over to Christ. Well, them being Greek, they take offense to this. And so the whole city begins to riot and they grab Paul, they gather at a big amphitheater there in Ephesus. And as the whole church gathers, this is what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 32. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly, and that's the word there, ecclesia, was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So they were all there for a particular reason. Some of them didn't know why, but they were there for a particular reason. It's a gathering of people, and so the writer chooses to use this word, ecclesia. Now, this wasn't a church uh, that was gathering to worship Jesus, but it was just the ecclesia. But as I said, the majority of the time when ecclesia is used, it's for a group of people coming together to worship Jesus. And so uh, I want to show you an example of that, which is actually in Acts chapter 11. 
It says, when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the ecclesia, the church, for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Talking about this group of believers that had assembled. And so the early church began to gather, and as it began to gather, it was given this name, ecclesia. And that's how we see it all through the New Testament. So what can we learn from this word that's originally used to describe the church, what can we learn as we try to answer the question, what is a church? Well, I think the first thing that we learn from this word is that the church isn't a building. It's never referred, it never refers to a building. It's always to a gathering of people for the purpose of worshiping and following Jesus Christ, which means that the church isn't a building, but also the church is never less than a physical gathering of multiple people on mission for Jesus. It's always used to describe a physical gathering of people that were on mission for Jesus. And it's, it's never about one person either. It's always a gathering. It's always a group. That's why you can't say, I am the church. You can't say that. Because that phrase alone doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, That's why we say, we are the church. So the church is never less than a physical gathering of multiple people on mission for Jesus, but also the church is never less than a physical gathering, but it is always more. So the reason I put this in is because I want you to know it's not just the gathering. See, we don't gather just to gather, do we? See, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the ecclesia, we gather for so much more. And Jesus died and rose from the grave and he establishes this thing on earth by which he's going to use to spread the gospel of what he's done for the entire world. And we call it ecclesia and we call it church. And in that, in the early church, we start to see how they move and how they act we get some ideas on what we're supposed to do as a church. And one example comes in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to communion. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it gives us an idea of what we're supposed to be doing as a church when we gather together. It explains a lot of what we do. We're, we gather to to open up the word of God, to hear teaching, to learn from from God's word. We also gather to fellowship. If you notice, the name of the church is Mountain View Fellowship. And the reason we put that in there is because we said we were always going to be about relationships. Relationships were important to Jesus, and they're going to be important to us as well. And so fellowship is important. And then, of course, to remember to, to come together, share meals together, to that fellowship uh, of the believers and, and to take the bread and the wine and to remember what Christ has done for us. That's the Lord's Supper that we talk about. And then also to pray. That's why we spend parts of our service praying for one another and in directed prayer because this is what we're supposed to be doing. Now, this is what the church does. So what is the church? Well, I would say based on that original Greek term, if you were trying to boil it down, you would just say this, the church is a gathering of people on mission for Jesus. That's about as simplistic as you can put it. That we're a group of people that have the same purpose, and that purpose is Jesus Christ. That's the church. And the question that we're asking this morning is, do you need that? Do you really need that? Or can you just say, you know what, as an individual, I'm just going to live out my own faith. I'm going to do my own thing. Because I hear it all the time. People will tell me, well, I can worship God on my fishing boat. 
go camp and I, I can do church up there in the mountains because I'm in God's creation. I can do that, right? Um, let me ask the question, based on what we just learned, is that biblical? Is that really biblical? See, I've learned, um, especially early on in my married life, when I got off on my own and I got married and I started making my own decisions, there were seasons in there where I said, I don't need the church. And there were long periods where I didn't attend. I just kind of walked away. I did my own thing. And I can tell you what I learned in those moments was that those were empty times. I got lost. I was stumbling through life. I was trying to figure things out, but yet I'd cut God, I'd cut his church out, and I was trying to do it on my own. I became empty and I lost my purpose. But when we gather together, there's something supernatural that happens in that moment. The best way I can describe it is this. When we come together as believers, it says in scripture that when we receive Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which means when we come together, each of us as believers, we bring the spirit of God into our, our community together. What, what, you just can't imagine what happens in that moment because now the, the spirit is at work in and through its people. It's incredible. It, get this, the scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me and you, and you, and you, and you. And when we gather, we bring all of that together. God's spirit combined in every one of us when we gather like this is a mysterious thing, but we can sense it, we can feel it, we know it's real, it's just as tangible as anything physical. Now, you know what it's like not to gather, right? We just learned that a couple of years ago. Remember COVID? You remember what that felt like? not to be able to gather like that. And, and we went 27 weeks not gathering in this building. And even though we did service every week, we, we videotaped it, we put it out, live stream, uh, we put it out to you. I still, at the end of that, we had people walking through the door. And many, many of you walked over and told me, look, we were online every week, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same, why? because there's something incredible that happens when we gather together. The spirit of God is alive. Where two or more are gathered, he's there in our midst and he, and he begins to move in our hearts and minds and amazing things happen when God's people gather. The church is our collective identity in Christ. It's where the spirit begins to move and direct and, and pushes for his purposes. Uh, we used to ask a question many, many years ago, and if you're one of the original ones here when, you were, when we were back at Strasburg Elementary School, you might remember this question, but we used to ask every Sunday, hey, did you invite Jesus to come to church with you? And it was kind of a goofy question, but it was based on this idea that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize uh, of what you're bringing with you when you come in? When you go to work, when you go to school, do you realize what you're taking with you because the Spirit dwells within you? And when we come together and we gather like this, amazing things happen, things that we can't even explain sometimes. Now, when you look at the church, Ecclesia, the Bible actually has three analogies that it uses to describe the church, this gathering like this. Uh, there's three analogies. The first one is this. The church is likened to the body, the body. Eleven times in Scripture, the church is referred to as the body. One of the examples is here in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. The church is this physical representation of Christ's body on this earth. And when we talk about being the hands and feet of God, that's, that's really what's happening. 
That's how God has designed it. That's the way he works it here on this earth to bring about his will, to show his love and reveal himself to the world around us is through his church. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it goes on to say, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. So if the church is a body, let me just ask this question this way. Answering the question, do I really need the church? If the church is the body of Christ and you disconnect yourself from the body, are you still part of the body? Uh, Think about it this way. Uh, If I physically cut off my hand or cut off my foot, is that still part of my body? See, I, I know scientifically, and I think you know this as well, that if you sever a part of the body and it's not quickly reattached to the body, what happens to that part? It dies. Why? Because it's drained of all life. It's not attached to the body. It can't live on its own. And scripture refers to the church as the body and all of us are parts of the body. Maybe the reason you feel lifeless and drained is because you're not staying connected to the body. You've been severed. You've you've severed yourself from the body. You might be thinking, well, that's not a really important thing for me because I'm really not that important at church. Like, I, I don't really play a significant role. I'm kind of, if you're talking body parts, I'm more like an earlobe or a pinky, right? Well, if that's what you're thinking here this morning, I want you to know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22, it says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most, what? Most necessary. So if you think that you are unimportant, you're invaluable, I want, you to, I want you to know this morning, you're wrong. You're wrong. Scripture says that you are just as necessary as every other part, and some of you are even more necessary. Those of you that are playing background roles and you think that nobody knows who you are and you're really not that important to the church, you are so valuable to each and every one of us because um, God has given you gifts and he's given you abilities and he's given you spiritual gifts and resources that he expects you to use for the body. You think you might be a pinky What's interesting is if you look at the pinky, um, if you lost your pinky, would you still have grip? Yes, you would. But studies have shown that with your pinky, you can increase your grip up to 50%. You are that critical to us, to this body. You are an important part of this body, every single one of you. And you need to be connected to bring life to yourself and to bring life to others within this church. Listen to me. When you aren't here, the body is incomplete. It's incomplete when you're not here. You miss out and we miss out when you're not here. Uh, Look around the room right now. Look at all these seats that are empty this morning, right? Um, There's people that God wants in those seats that are not here. Some of them because they chose not to be here because they answer the question, do I really need the church with the answer? No. And they need to be here. Some of them are other people that have not come to Christ yet that we are called to go out and reach, and we'll talk more about that later, but we need to be speaking the truth about Jesus. We need to be spreading the gospel and inviting others to come with us. This, this should be full of people because God desires that no one should perish. We talked about that last week. You are incomplete when you're not connected to the body. The body is incomplete when you're not connected to the body. 
So the church is referred to as a body. Secondly, the church is referred to as a marriage. This one's very interesting to me because when I do marriages, when I do weddings and stuff and sit down with a couple, especially if they've never been married before, I always tell them marriage is amazing. It's incredible. And, and the this, this scripture that talks about a man and a woman leaving their parents and, and becoming one, that they become one flesh, like this is a mystery. And I always tell them, look, this is something I can't even describe to you. Like, this is so incredible that you have to commit yourself to it and you have to enter into that covenant relationship before you can ever understand it. Like, there's no way to really understand what that oneness looks like. You just have to experience it. And that's exactly the way it is in church. And Paul even says it's a mystery. In Ephesians 5, he says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the ecclesia of the church are one. I tell people all the time, look, until you commit to the church and become part of it, you don't understand what you're missing out on. And there's something amazing that happens when you commit yourself. You begin to grow by leaps and bounds. Uh, you go deeper in your relationships. You go, you go further in your faith and your walk with Christ than you ever thought you could when you are connected with the ecclesia of the church. Um, now, we do live stream. We're live streaming right now. And there's people online watching. And, and I think a, a live stream is amazing for us. It, it was, we kicked this off during COVID for obvious reasons and we've continued it. Uh, and the reason for that is because we found it's a great tool. For those of us that go on vacation, it's great because we go on vacation, we can still tune in and keep up with our, our home church, our local church. Uh, we also have people in this church who are uh, struggling physically. There's an illness that they're dealing with or they have a spouse or a loved one that's dealing with it and they can't have them exposed and so they stay at home and they care for them. And we have found that this has been an amazing tool for them to stay connected even though they can't come and be part of these gatherings. We've also learned that this is an amazing outreach tool as well. Some of you sitting here right now, your first experience with MVF was online. Like you, you got on the, the interwebs and you begin to check things out, right? And you're watching the, the services online and, and you did this way before you ever came for an in-person service. Why? Because you wanted to see, well, what does the pastor wear? What kind of songs are they singing? What's their worship like? Are they drinking Kool-Aid? Right? You had all those questions and, and these are, most of these things are answered just by the live stream. And all of a sudden you got comfortable and you said, you know what? I think I want to go check that out. But if the church is compared to a marriage, let me ask you this. Could you have a marriage that exists 100% online? Could you? Well, I wrestled with this when I was writing this up and I thought yeah, this. Um, technically, yes. Right? Like if I, I'm married to my wife, Angie, and if, if I move to China tomorrow and I live there for the next five, 10 years, could we still be married? Yeah, technically we would still be married. But let me ask you this question. Would we have a healthy marriage? No, there's no way. See, I think eventually our, our marriage would fall apart. We would drift apart from each other. It would be impossible. And not only that, but I desire to be with her. Like I want to be around her all the time. And I'm not just talking sexually. I'm talking emotionally and mentally and just physically being in her presence and, and talking and seeing her smile and having conversations and knowing what's going on with her and, and, and hearing her thoughts and all those things. Why? Because I love her and I want to spend time with her. When I'm away from her, I desire to be back in her presence. See, we are designed by God to be physically present with each other as part of the church. This is, this is the way it works. This is why the church was referred to 
as a marriage. Why? Because there's a commitment involved. Marriage is a covenant vow. So some of us wonder why in the world we feel disconnected from God, why we're not thriving in life and in our faith. And I want you to know it's probably because you've been disconnected. Any one of you that had a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school and took off and went to college or you left home realized very quickly that long-distance relationships don't work. They don't. See, technology helps us, helps keep us connected, but it's not a substitute for connection. By no means is it a substitute. Um, If you're online, checking us out online right now, it's awesome. We love having you. We're glad you tuned in today, but eventually, if there's no reason for you not to be here, we want you here because we need you, all of us. And you need us. That's the way God has designed it in this church. Uh, he, does, he likened it to a marriage. And if you think about a marriage, many of you in this room, you actually probably met the person you're married to right now online. You got online, got on some dating service and, and checked them out. Why? Because you wanted to make sure they weren't an ax murderer before you went out with them. And, and this is what happens here. And so we're not going to stop our live stream. We're going to continue to do our live stream. But I want to encourage you, if there's no other reason for you, uh, no reason for you not to be here physically, we want you here physically. We want you included in the ecclesia, in the assembly, the gathering of God's people. Because even if it's a dating relationship or if it's a church, sometimes you get to a place in a relationship where there's no way for you to move forward in that relationship until you meet face to face. And we want you here. Now, we have a body, we have a marriage, and the third analogy might seem kind of odd, it's a flock. In church, uh, in, in the Bible, the church is referred to many times as a flock. And, and you know this. Some of, the, some of the places in Scripture, us as people, were referred to as sheep. Some of the leaders within the church sometimes are referred to as shepherds. It's, it's one of the analogies that's used all, all the way through the church. And yet, listen to how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, And now, a word to you who are elders in the church. Now, I want to stop just for a minute. I want to say this because so often we'll read this and we'll just blow right by it. Well, that's for somebody else. And I want you to own this one today, okay? So who is this for? Not just the elders, not just the pastors and not the staff, but I think all of our ministry leads. I think if you volunteer in this church, if you're, if you're one of those body parts and you're, you're plugged in, I think this is for every one of us. It's important for us to, to listen to this and and. Take this in this morning. He says, and now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. What does he want us to do? He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because because you are eager to serve God, can I just drop some truth on you this morning? Um, every person in this church, that whether it's a, an elder or a pastor or staff member or ministry lead or a volunteer, the people that were serving you coffee this morning, the ones that are changing diapers on your kids this morning, those who are greeting in the hallways, it doesn't matter. Every one of those people, they're not doing this for themselves. They're not. They're doing it for you. This is how God has designed his church to work. We serve each other. Um, They're not doing it for the the pay. They they don't get paid, right? And those who do don't get paid that much. They they do it because they want the best for you. They want to see you thrive in life. They want to see you thrive in your relationship with God and grow in your faith. They want what's best for you. But, But let me tell you something that I know as a shepherd. You ready? 
Um, what I know as a shepherd is the most dangerous place that you can be is outside of the flock. That's the most dangerous place that you can be. Uh, when you decide on your own, like, I'm going to go off. I don't need the church. Do I really need the church? No, I'm just going to do it on my own. And you decide to, to walk off by yourself. That's when people suffer. That's when people die. How do I know that? Because we have an enemy, and when you walk outside the flock, you become vulnerable to that enemy. And listen to the description of the enemy. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring what? Lion looking for someone to devour. Now, in all your hours of TikTok videos and YouTube videos, uh, National Geographic stuff, watching you know, wildlife, let me ask you this. Which animal does the lion go after? It's always the one that's strayed away from the pack, right? The one that's outside the herd. The one that had its nose down and was grazing and didn't realize it went outside the protection of the herd. That's the one the lion goes after. See, too many people think that they can do life by themselves and they don't want to be a part of the church. And I want to tell you, that makes you vulnerable, and you need to be careful of that. And it's not biblical. That is not the biblical model that we are called to follow. Now, if you're not part of the gathering, then you are weak and you're vulnerable. Now, before you take offense to that, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Because we, I hope, every Sunday when you come in here, we come in dragging ourselves in. Not because we don't want to, but because we're poured out, we're exhausted. Because we have been following Christ all week long, pouring ourselves out for the world around us. See, the idea is we get up every morning and go, okay, God, remember, it's a gathering of people that are on mission for Jesus. So the question every morning is, what are we doing today? God, what do you want me to do? And we go out and we pour our lives out for the world around us. And we should, on Sunday morning, hopefully be exhausted because we poured ourselves out and we find our way coming into the church, gathering in the spirit of God, and we are filled up through worship and through the reading of the word and encouraged and built back up to be sent back out to pour ourselves out again. That's what should be happening. Uh, William Temple said it this way. He said, the church exists primarily for the sake of those who are still outside it. You realize that, that the church is the only organization that exists for those who are not even a part of it? Like it's not about us. It's about those who have not yet found Christ as their savior. That's, that's our mission. And why do we do that? Because we know Jesus. And we know we have a, an enemy that's working against us and working to steal them away. And we know that you are only as strong as you are connected. And so we want to bring them into the ecclesia. We want to bring them into the gathering so they can connect and grow in their faith as well so that they can go out and pour themselves out for the people who don't know Christ. That's the way God has designed it. Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. That's not, not neglecting the assembly, not neglecting the, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. One of the lessons that we learned through COVID was how important it is to gather with other people. Not just the church, but I think everybody learned that lesson. We found out it is not good when we are isolated and we found out as a church, it is so important for us to gather and to worship and to fellowship and to open God's word and to pray together. 
Don't ever buy into the lie that the church isn't important for you. The truth is, in your faith, you will stop growing when you aren't a part of the gathering. You'll stop growing. You'll plateau and you'll start tapering off. Why? Because you're disconnected from the body. And so today, I want to challenge you with a couple of things. Because I think it's so critical. We have a lot of people coming into the church who are... Um, this is new for them. Like there are several generations removed of any kind of God, any kind of, of church. And, and when they come and, and they find Christ, uh, I, I found that many times we have to say this. Like I didn't think I'd have to say it, but we, we found you have to say this because it's not, it's not known. Um, because they think if they come once every six or seven weeks that this is now their church because they've never really come before. But here's my challenge for you today. I want you to commit to always be at church unless you're out of town or medically unable. I'm saying it today. We want you here every week. This is the ecclesia. This is the gathering of God's people. And when you're not here, you're incomplete. When, when you're not here, we're incomplete. And we want you to commit to this. Not just one out of four weeks. Not just at Christmas and Easter. We want you here every week. And we want you growing in your faith and volunteering and serving. Being filled up. So you can be sent out to be poured out for the world around you. And then number two, I want you to commit to take your next step to contribute to the church. Now so often you say something like this, people automatically go to finances. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that you as an individual, you've been gifted a certain way. God has designed you and built you a certain way so that when you plug into the church, that you have something to offer. Every one of you, and I know you might think that you don't have anything to offer. Through the spirit of God, you have so much to offer and we need you. Commit to be a part of this, to jump in, to get involved, to pour yourself out. See, we're not gonna stop challenging you because we want the best for you. You're, you. The foundation of your life needs to be built on the truth of who Jesus is and on his church. And this is where you do it, in the ecclesia, in the church. Do you really need the church? The answer to that is absolutely, without a doubt. Um, and we shouldn't take that for granted because Christ bought this church with a high price. He gave his life. He shed his blood for this church so that you and I could be made right with God so we could be filled with his spirit so when we gather, he can move and work in and through us. Christ gave his life for the church. And as we move into a time of worship and communion and prayer, I wanna tell you, we, we need to check our hearts. We're gonna sing a song about just checking ourselves. And I wanna make sure that, that we check ourselves because when we reject this idea of committing ourselves, it, it usually comes because we're not in a place that we know God would be happy with. Like, like we're resisting him because we, we don't want that conviction. I want us to strip all that off this morning. And I want us to commit ourselves to this, to surrender and to commit because you do need the church. I need the church. We need each other.